Good morning. My name is Nathan Montgomery, and I've been asked to share with you just a little bit of uh, my story this morning. I was 26 years old. My wife and I had two boys who were eight and four, and she was pregnant with the first of our daughters. I'd only been saved for about four years, so I was still figuring out just exactly what this relationship with God was supposed to look like. Sure, I I went to church off and on as a kid with my grandparents, but uh, I certainly didn't grow up in a Christian home. Far from it, actually. I had barely begun my journey on the road to understanding my faith. Who was I to minister to anyone? But that was exactly what I felt like God was calling me to do. After receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, my wife and I began to get more involved in the church, teaching, choir, missions. And all the while, I felt as if God was asking me to do something more. Like he wanted something more from me. While I continued to grow in my relationship with God, I really can't say I trusted him with everything. The decisions I made in my professional life were those that I thought made the most sense. Not really asking God what he thought or what he wanted. And then I did. I asked. And I really wanted to know. I'd come to that place where I was ready. I was ready to do whatever it was he wanted me to do, or at least I thought so. It was one thing to be willing to follow after him when I didn't yet know where exactly we were going, but now, now I had a choice to make. I'd come to that fork in the road. I'd come to that point at which I had to make a decision to continue on the path guided not by the hand of God, but by my own limited wisdom, or allow him to lead me. A road that was sure to be scary. Scary because I knew I was really not capable of driving it alone. I mean, after all, I barely knew God. How could I possibly know what he wanted, and how could he possibly use me? So I prayed. My wife prayed. We prayed. I asked God to tell me if this is what he really wanted me to do to make it clear. I wish it were that easy. I thought this was what he wanted, but to make the decision, that was tough. Amidst all of my inadequacies to think that God could possibly use me, that was tough. After praying a lot, we felt like this was what God wanted us to do. So we jumped. To say I had no idea what I was getting myself into when I agreed to assume the role of leader in the ministry of Salt and Light would be an understatement. I had no background in ministry. I'd never even volunteered before. Every day was a day of learning. Every day was a day of instruction a day of faith building. It was certainly not easy. Completely relying on God for the provision of our family was difficult. It was a new ministry and we experienced peaks and we experienced valleys. All the while, what God was teaching me was to trust him. Trust in him and him alone. Not in any gifts he may or may not have blessed me with, but trust that if I was in his will, I could not fail. This was the hard part realizing that my success had absolutely nothing to do with me. Not really, anyway. If I were going to succeed, it was going to be because God had called me to do it, and he was there and going to bless my efforts. It was going to be because he was by my side. This was never more evident than when he chose to move through a television program. By using Extreme Makeover, he chose to bless his ministry, the work that he had called me to in such a way that it would be clear that he was the one doing it. To do something so big, so beyond any development plan or fundraising campaign, 
to bless his work, that was the kind of God I serve. I've seen God move so many times. I've seen him move in seemingly small and insignificant ways, and I have seen him move mountains. I guess at the end of the day, that is what I have learned, and really I am still learning, that it's God doing the moving. It was Amos who, with no special preparation, education, or upbringing, obeyed God's call to go prophesy to my people Israel. And because of that, he was blessed by God. In Amos seven fourteen and 15, it says, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Well, uh, we're going to talk about another shepherd. Uh, Nathan mentioned the shepherd, uh, Amos. And this morning, um, our scripture reading uh, is concerning another shepherd, a shepherd by the name of Moses. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Exodus uh, chapter 4, and you'll find that on page 42 of your church Bibles. And uh, no PowerPoint today, we're going old school. So... Just uh, take your Bibles, and I'm going to be reading uh, Exodus chapter 4. It's on page 42 of your Navy Blue Church Bibles. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak. When he took it out, it was restored, like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and his heart will be glad when he sees you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth, and I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. 
But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform miraculous signs with it. This is God's word. Bill Kieser uh, was our oldest church member. 103 years of age. He got a call on Friday, uh, said he passed away. And moved to um, southern Illinois. Last time I saw him uh, was, was just before he moved, two years ago. Uh, he was 101. We had had his 100th birthday party here at the church. And, and uh, then when he, when he was uh, 101, why, um, I had a, a great conversation with him. And, you know, at 101, I mean, Bill was all there. It was just wonderful. And... Um, he was married uh, 65 years to Faye, Faye Cheek, and um, Kieser. That's a, Faye Cheek is at another church. So his, <laughs> when I was in Ohio. So where am I? <laughs> I don't know where I am. I'm, I'm 50. So <laughs> anyway, I need help. <laughs> Okay, where was I? I was Bill. I was at Bill. I'm not Bill. I was with Bill. (laughs) This is not getting any better. (laughs) I'm going somewhere with this. Well, 12 years ago, 12 years ago, we had the most populated congregational meeting in the 23 years that I've been here. And it was concerning the floor plans for this facility. And we had it up in what was, at the time, our fellowship hall. And Scott Kunkel uh, was leading the uh, building future facility uh, team. And we had the architect that we had hired uh, there uh, to answer questions. And and we had a, a church uh, fundraising consultant that we had brought in to help us with the resources, and um, it was a packed meeting, and it went really, really well, and we had really tried to do a good job at communicating with the congregation what the plans were and how the plans were going to meet our you know, facility needs at the time, and then there was the time for question and answer, and things were just kind of humming right along, and uh, um, someone asked the question, I don't even know who it was at the time, someone asked the question, well, now with this construction project, I mean, you know, will we be utilizing, you know, professional construction people, or, you know, we'll be be doing, you know, volunteer labor, Uh, you know, it's a question that we had anticipated and whatnot, and so, in a really, really excellent way, as Scott Kunkel knows how to do it, he communicated that, you know, this is a significant structure. We're going to need the pros in here to get this done well, and maybe if there's some things that we can do on a volunteer basis, we'll look into that, and and so that kind of went well, until someone stood up in the middle of the room and said at the top of their lungs, 
We don't need to pay construction workers to do the work that we can do. Why, the men of the church can come after they work their jobs and they can pound the shingles in the roof by the power of Almighty God. And I just kind of like, and it was Bill. Bill Keezer, he was like 90 at the time. <laughs> and, and he didn't stop. He kept talking about how we can do the painting and we can do the pounding and we can do the carpet. And keep in mind, he grew up in a different era. And the women can bring the meals at the end of the day and they can make the apple pie by the power of Almighty God. And he kept using that phrase, by the power of Almighty God this and by the power of Almighty God that. I mean, 200 pairs of eyes were just locked on to this 90-year-old who was ranting and raving about the power of Almighty God. And when he was done, he sat down and I was like, I've never seen him like this before. (laughs) It's almost like, my goodness. Well, then, after the 200 pairs of eyes finished locking onto him, suddenly I felt 200 pairs of eyes locking onto me. (laughs) And, and, you know, it all took place in just a few seconds, but it's like I remember praying, Oh, Lord, I am slow in speech and tongue. (laughs) I I could use some help here, (laughs) you know. And it was one of those moments when the Lord taught me that there are times when it's better to know when not to talk than to know what to say. (laughs) And in a rare moment, rare, mind you, I said nothing. And I just started clapping. (laughs) And then everybody else just started clapping. And we all just clapped. And then we went right on with our meeting, as if nothing had happened. And and here we are, (laughs) by the power of Almighty God. Huh? Yeah, that's right. Oh, and I think in his own way that Bill was just really trying to tell us that if, you know, however this thing gets done, if it, it, it's, it doesn't matter if God's in it and if he's present. And when his presence and his power is there, then it's going to happen. And church family, that's really what our verses are about here this morning in Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4 is actually a part of a a larger section of Scripture, Exodus 3 and 4. And it pertains to a conversation that God had with Moses. When God called Moses to go and bring his people out of Egypt. Now, if you don't know much about Moses, let me give you just a very quick, quick summary of his life. He was Hebrew, born in Egypt when God's people 
were slaves of the Egyptian empire. And through um, providential works of God, Moses, whose family was of Hebrew slave, he was adopted into the household of Pharaoh. (laughs) And for the first 40 years of his life, he was reared in high Egyptian culture and trained at the elite universities of Egypt and and in Pharaoh's aristocracy and, and in royalty. And then his life took a drastic turn when he was 40. He saw one of his Hebrew kinsmen being abused by an Egyptian and in a rash moment, Moses murdered that Egyptian, tried to cover the crime up, but he became a wanted man and he became a fugitive and he fled Egypt and Egypt was just a speck on the horizon of a life long gone through his rearview mirror as he went to the country of Midian and started a new life there as a shepherd. And he uh, married a Midianite woman um, and had a son and tended the flocks for his father-in-law, Jethro. And it was just a whole nother life. For 40 years, this was going on. And then, when Moses was 80, he had taken the flocks out to the far side of the mountain, Mount Oreb. And there he met the creator God of this universe. There, this angel was in this burning bush that was a flame. But the bush wasn't consumed. The the flame, the fiery flame was there, but the bush was preserved there in the presence of this angel. And, And God called Moses to bring his people out of Egypt and to bring them on this mountain that they would worship him. And you have heard enough of... Exodus chapter 4, to hear Moses' excuses, excuses that came out of his inadequacies, uh, inadequacy at the thought of being used by God for such a, 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 a gigantic undertaking. And some of you feel inadequate here today. How could God ever use me because of my, and you fill in the blank, because of my past, because of my junk, because of my hurts uh, uh, in Celebrate Recovery, we would say because of my hurts or my habits or my hang-ups. How could God ever use me? And, and it's easy for these inadequacies to become excuses. And what happens here in, in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 is a conversation takes place between God and Moses in which Moses gives five excuses as to why he is not the right person to do what it is that God wants done. And he gives five different excuses as to why he's not the person. And God responds with one reason five times. And I just want us to overhear this conversation as we consider. Uh, You know, if you're thinking that you've got a good reason, 
why God can't use you, pay attention to these verses here. Reason number one, Moses said to God, Moses said, you know, who who am I? I mean, who am I that I would go down? That's in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Who am I? Well, who was Moses? Well, he was 80 years old. That's who he was. He was a shepherd. He had started another life. Uh, He had not been uh, to the Egyptian culture, society uh, for 40 years. That's who he was. Uh, Who else was he? He was a wanted man. He was a fugitive. And so it's like, no, not me. Who am I? And I think part of the problem that Moses had was that, you know, he misunderstood really what it was God wanted him to do. You see, see, Moses thought that God wanted him to be the lifeguard to go rescue God's people. And that's not what God wanted Moses to do. Moses had tried that before. Moses, that was what the murder was all about. In fact, Moses kind of had uh, some kind of messianic uh, fantasies about w- what would happen there that we learn about in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 25. Write this verse down. You can look it up when you get home. This is interesting. Concerning that murder that took place that eventually made Moses a fugitive, this is fascinating. Acts 7, 25 says, Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them. So Moses had an idea, well, by killing this guy, God's using me, and maybe these people will just get it, you know, that I'm there to be the deliverer. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. But they did not, you see. The fact of the matter is God was calling Moses, but not to do it that way. Not to do it that way. And how many of us want to rush ahead of God with our own little dreams of how what we think something ought to be done. And then we end up really messing it up, don't we? Who am I? Who am I? And God never asked Moses to be the lifeguard. God wanted Moses to be the bus driver. That's what he, God God says to Moses, I'm going to be the deliverer, not you, Moses. I'm going to be the redeemer. I'm going to be the rescuer. I just need you to take care of transportation. And so when I rescue them, I need you to bring them back here to me on this mountain where we will worship together. And and then I need you to bring them to the land of promise. That's what I want done now. Uh, And so that's why. And so God doesn't even deal with who Moses is. Who am I? Moses said to God. And what did God say? God said, I will be with you. I, it's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's, what I, it's who I, about who I am and what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. Now, what does it mean in the Bible when we read, I will be with you? What does it mean that God is with us? Church, it means this. It means that God's presence and God's power show up so that we can do what it is he wants us to do. That's what it means. That's what God with us means. God's presence and God's power show up so that we are able to do what it is he wants done. And that's still true today. That's still true today. It's the promise not just for Moses, it's for us. The apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3, 
His divine power has given us, who's the us? Us. Us. You and me. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I'm with you, God says. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm with you. Well, Moses isn't convinced, is he? (laughs) That's why he goes to excuse number two or question number two. Okay, now who am I? Well, who are you? Who are, I mean, okay, well, what am I, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to talk to the Israelites, and I'm going to explain to them that we've had this conversation, and they're going to ask what your name is. Who, who, who are you? What do I say? And, and what you need to understand is that uh, Moses is not asking, what's the name on the name tag? That's not the question. The question is this, what's the, what's the significant, uh, what is the significance of your existence in our current situation, that's what he's saying. And some of you are thinking of that right now. Because, you know, you're thinking, what good is a resurrected Christ in the midst of my cancer? What good is a resurrected Jesus when I'm having marriage struggles and troubles and I don't know what's going to be happening with my job in the future? What good is a resurrected Christ when my children seem so far from that resurrected Christ, you see? See, it's not just what's his name, but what's the significance of God's existence in my current situation? And what God is saying to Moses is, just because I've been silent doesn't mean that I've been absent. Don't ever mistake my silence for my absence. Psalm 23, the psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of your translations in Psalm 23 say, even though I walk through the deepest, darkest valley, it's so dark I can't even see my hand in, in front of me. I can't see anything. I don't even know. I, I can't see God. But just because I can't see God doesn't mean God isn't there. That's what's going on here. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's been absent. And God says such in the rest of Exodus chapter 3 when he says, you, you tell them, I am sent you. I am who I am. I am is the broadest verb in the Hebrew language. God is saying, I am not going to be contained. I'm not going to be manipulated. I'm not going to be controlled. I am has sent you. And then, and then the I am just lays out the strategic plan here in the rest of Exodus chapter 3 when God says, Moses, here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to go down to the Israelites and you're going to tell them that I am has sent you and then, uh, then you're going to get the elders of the Israelites together and you're going you're to explain to them about our conversation and they will listen to you, Moses. And then you all are going to go to Pharaoh, and he will not listen to you. And then you're going to perform miraculous signs and wonders so that he will let you go. And by the time it's time for you to go, the Egyptians will be so ready for you to go that you will plunder their possessions. And here's how you're going to plunder their possessions. You're not going to 
There's not going to be any riots in the street or broken glass or busted down doors. It's not going to be that kind of plundering. Here's what the plundering is going to look like. The Egyptians are going to be so ready. You're just going to say to the Egyptians, hey, that's a nice watch. Can I have that? And they're going to say, anything, get out of here. And that's what the plunder is going to look like. And that's exactly what happened. They They plundered by saying, I really like that gold, expensive picture. Can I take that with me? Yes, just get out of here. That's what's going to happen. And that is what happened. Because I am is with you. I am. Moses still isn't convinced. Moses says in chapter 4, verse 1, what if, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Who's the they, by the way? Who's the they in that verse? Look at verse 1, chapter 4, verse. Who's the they? It's not the Egyptians, is it? It's not not fair on the Egyptians. Who is it? It's the Israelites. Moses isn't concerned yet about the Egyptians. He's just trying to get his own people to to, uh, trust and believe in what he has to say. And God says, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, Moses. What is that in your hand? A staff. It's a shepherd's staff. Throw it down. All right, threw it down. Maybe God just wanted to see how fast an 80-year-old man could run because it became a snake. And he's like, Moses, hightailed it out of there. And God says, go back and pick it up. Pick it up. By the tail. By the tail? You have a death wish or what? You never pick up a snake by the tail. I mean, I'm from the urban part of Oklahoma, and I know you never pick a snake up by the tail. Where do you pick the snake up by? The neck. The neck, God says, pick it up by the tail. Picks it up by the tail, becomes a staff again. Now, in Egyptian culture, the culture itself was represented by a snake. And you see the symbolism there. God says to Moses, just as you exercised sovereignty over that snake by the tail, so with my power and my presence, there will be sovereignty over this Egyptian empire. And it's because I will be with you. They'll believe that. What if they don't believe that? All right. Let's do something else then. Listen, stick your hand in your cloak. What? Stick your hand in your cloak. Moses sticks his hand in his cloak. Okay, take your hand out. He takes it out with, ah, leprosy. There's no, no small thing in that world. It was horrific, and it was terminal, and you died by literally falling apart. And Moses, ah! God says, put it back in your cloak. But it'll get infected in my... Put it back in your cloak, Moses. Put it back in your cloak. Take your hand out again. Wow. How did you do that? I don't believe you with those two. Take some water out of the Nile. Pour it on the ground and it'll become blood. And that was a preview of the first plague, wasn't it? You see what's going on here? Stick. Ordinary stick. Ordinary disease. Ordinary water. God is taking the ordinary. This entire conversation is about 
the ordinary. A shepherd was an ordinary vocation. In fact, we learn in the book of Genesis that the Egyptians despised the shepherds because the Egyptians were too highbrow and shepherds were just too lowbrow. And, 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 and so God takes this ordinary vocation and the ordinary bush. It was just an ordinary bush that in the presence of God became this flaming, flaming bush that was not consumed. And the ordinary stick, God's presence takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. And that's true in your life as well. You just need to take it to the bank and believe Him. Do you? Still, Moses was just on the fence, you know? He just, Lord, I can't talk so good. He says, I just can't talk so good. Verse 10, I've I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, and and since you've spoken to yourself, I am slow of speech and tongue. Some think that maybe Moses had a speech impediment. I'm not so sure, because Stephen in Acts chapter 7 says that Moses was powerful in word and deed. I think what's going on here is Moses is saying, it's been 40 years since I've dealt with the Egyptian high society and the way to speak to the aristocracy and the repartee that's involved and the quick thinking on your feet and the ability to to banter and debate back and forth. I'm not very good at that, even though he's doing a pretty good job against the God of this universe now, huh? And the Lord says, Moses, who gave man his mouth? You know... Who who makes him deaf or mute? Verse 12, now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. Interesting, verse 12 literally means, I am will be with your mouth. So that at the very moment you need to say what it is I want you to say, you'll say it and it will be fine. And haven't you noticed that that's how it works when you pray for wisdom and discernment? In a very important conversation that needs to take place, you've got to talk to your spouse about something or your child about something or a colleague about something or maybe someone who might just be your enemy. You've got to have a very difficult conversation and, and, and you pray for wisdom. And have you noticed God, God does not give wisdom on credit. He never, he never gives you 60 days worth of wisdom, and then now when you use all that, come back. He doesn't do that. When does God give us wisdom and discernment? At the very moment you need it, that's right. I mean, at the very moment, that's when it shows up, and that's what's going on here. I am will be with your mouth. And then Moses, he just finally says his fifth excuse. Verse 13, I would just really rather not. Right? I would just, I just, Lord, I would just really rather not. Oh, Lord, please send, at least he used the word please, please send someone else to do it. And, 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 and the Bible says that the Lord looked at Moses and said, Moses, you're killing me. You're, you're just killing me, man. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. He said, all right, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's, you're, Moses, you're going. Take Aaron with you. I'll work with both of you, but you're going. You're, this conversation is over. Done. 
finished. Now, you know, verse 17, pick up your staff and just get out of here. Good job for you to do. Five excuses. Five excuses to which God responds with one reason five times. I am with you. Which one of these excuses have you been hearing yourself say lately? The who are, who am I? Who are you? What if they won't believe me? I'm just not gifted enough, or I just really don't want to. God's response is the same in everyone. Everyone, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, so, so you see, church family, the, the question here, what's in your hand, it really doesn't matter what's in your hand. It could have been a staff in Moses' hand, could have been a golf club, could have been a toothpick. It doesn't matter. Because what's in your hand is really not the issue. The issue is, and here's the deal, the issue is not what's in your hand, but who is at your side. That's the, the thing you think that God will never be able to use is the very thing that God wants to use because he's there and because he's with you. Charles Colson passed away a couple of weeks ago. This incredible leader of prison fellowship. He once said, the great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, Colson said, I realize that the thing that God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes or achievements or degrees or awards or honors or cases that I won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God's used in my life. What God has used in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and I went to prison. That was my greatest defeat. That was the only thing I didn't succeed in. And God used my greatest defeat. And God used the only thing I didn't succeed in. So it doesn't matter what's in your hand. What matters is who's at your side. Now, what would it look like in our community if our church community lived every moment of every day with the burning reality in our hearts that God is with us, what would that look like? I'll tell you what that would look like individually in your life. Individually in your life. You go to work tomorrow morning or you go to work in 25 minutes. You go to work and... and and, and here's the question you're not going to ask, whether you're in construction or education or the financial uh, industry or whether you're in retail or wholesale or healthcare. Uh, it, the question you're not going to ask is, how can, how can this vocation help me fulfill my life's purpose? That is not the question you're going to ask. The question you're going to ask is this, how? Can I be used by God to fulfill his purposes in this vocation? 
That's the question you're going to bring. You see the difference between the two, do you? You've got to get the difference between the two. The one is, it's about me. The other is, it's about God. And please, if, you, if you're here for the first time, let me just tell you, it's not about you. It's about him and his glory. And when we bring that question to our workplace, that transforms our workplace into a holy place. A holy place. So are you willing to ask that question? How can I be used by God to bring his purposes to my job? That will transform wherever you work into a holy place. You willing to do that? I am happy to tell you that as a church family at large, we have been asking that question. And let me explain what I mean by that. Lisa Sheltra has given me this. You know what this is? This is a thank you card from... This is a thank you card from Carrie Busey Elementary School. Every student of every classroom has signed this card because Carrie Busey was one of the sites from last fall's weekend of service. You say, Randy, you've been saving this since last October? No, we just got this two weeks ago. What I'm telling you is that the, the, the fruit of this ministry at this place, and there's other places that we served, you know that. The fruit is, is still growing on the trees concerning the influence that is being done. And we're not talking about appreciation to God for what went on just last October, but it seems that every week you all are showing up in places like Carrie Busey, to meet needs with love and to be Jesus and to be the burning bush of God's presence and power. I think that's wonderful, don't you? Ordinary to extraordinary. Ordinary to extraordinary. You know what's going to happen again? Two weeks from today, these chairs are going to be torn down after second service, and then tables and chairs are going to be set up for a Sunday action feast. What's that? A feast? What's that? A feast. Food. Dinner. What's the program? Food. A feast. And who's going to be there? Some of you all will be there. Being opened up to the community. This has been happening since last summer at different churches, and people just show up of all socioeconomic, uh, uh, racial backgrounds, and we come to have a love feast. Well, who's going to bring the food? It'll be provided. Can I bring some if I want? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're going to have it. We're going to have. We're going to have a time of communion too, because the original love feasts. And the early Christians were around meals and food. And God's presence and God's power is going to show up in the ordinary, you see. Wow. God took a stick from a shepherd, and he takes ordinary water, and 
He takes all of the, this regular vocation, he transforms these into extraordinary things. He did that with another stick, you know, a Roman stick, a Roman cross, a cross upon which hung the Son of God, Jesus, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God is with us. God's power, God's presence in an ordinary, ugly stick has brought us out of our slavery and into the kingdom of light. And how did he do that? Oh, you know how he did that. Bill Keezer told us how he did that. By the power of Almighty God. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your gospel does not rest on man's wisdom. Lord, your foolishness is by far more intelligent than our wisdom. And your weakness is stronger than our strength. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we close our service today, uh, we're going to take a time uh, to sing together. A song we've sung lots of times, a song called The Stand. Um, what I love about this song is it's an opportunity for us to respond. Um, some of you today might be your last Sunday with us for the summer. Some of you are college students. You're getting ready to take your finals and go home or go overseas or go somewhere else this summer. Some of you are getting ready also to go on mission trips and other places, visiting family this summer. Um, so what I want to invite you to do uh, is to stand together as a congregation uh, and let's tell God that whatever he wants with our lives, we'll go there. Not confident in our own abilities, but confident in who he is, confident in his power. So let's sing together. You stood before creation Eternity in your hand You spoke the earth into motion My soul now to stand You stood before For my shame, I sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So, what can I say? And what can I do?